Hi, this is Ananda, president of the Hare Krishna community near Washington, D.C. What follows is a Sunday talk recorded at our temple. Every Sunday we invite the public for meditation, a talk, and a vegetarian lunch. We'd love for you to join us. More information is available at iskonofdc.org. That's I-S-K-C-O-N of D-C dot org. Thanks, and I hope you enjoy the talk. Hare Krishna, everybody. It's so wonderful to be here. I just like to extend my gratitude to Anand Vrindavan Mataji, who's not here right now, who's been with me, on me, for the longest time to come and speak on Ayurveda and Bhakti. And somehow or the other, I've sort of been evading it a little bit. And so finally, she said, just give me a date. And so here I am, and I'm really grateful to her because I just realized this, actually, this morning, that when I was studying Ayurveda, I remember sitting in the first philosophy class. Actually, that's the, that's the chapter I'm going to be talking on a little bit. Sitting in that class and feeling amazed, but then missing Krishna. <laughs> in the class, you know, as the study was going on, I was saying, where is Krishna? And it seemed so natural for Krishna to be there. And so I remember calling up my Guru Maharaj, Mukunda, His Holiness, Mukunda Goswami, and I said, Maharaj, I'm really enjoying the study of Ayurveda, but I feel that, you know, I, I miss um, the presence of Bhakti and the presence of Krishna in this study. And uh, Mukunda Maharaj said that, just study right now, just go through the program, and one day you'll be able to speak on the philosophy of Krishna consciousness and how that connects with Ayurveda. And so here I am today and I realize that's the day. It's again something that he said and it's happening today. So I'm very grateful um, to Anamrindavan Matichi for nudging me a little bit and um, encouraging me to be here. And I'm also very grateful to all of you for being here on this rainy day. Um, I remember I come from a place where it rains a lot. I'm from Northeast India where it would always rain and we used to look forward to rainy days because rainy days were the days when we could just huddle up with the teacher a little bit closer and sit up close and, and listen to stories and listen to all kinds of things that were not really part of the normal syllabus. So it's kind of like that today that generally we don't hear about talks about Ayurveda, right? But here we are and it's a rainy day so it just feels that it's a perfect day, a perfect time and I'm just really grateful. <laughs> so, like I was saying, um, the study of Ayurveda is actually, um, as we all would imagine, it's connected to health. And yet it goes deeper than that, just like all the Vedic sciences do. So we'll see, we, I want this to be sort of interactive so we can maybe discuss as we, as we uh, read along or discuss along. So here is a little um, quotation. Uh, This is a little quotation from the Dalai Lama. And he was once asked, what is it that surprised him the most about humanity? And he said, this is actually incidentally a quote that was shared by my son. He really liked it and I, I loved it actually. It says, man, because he sacrifices his health in order to make money. Then he sacrifices money to recuperate his health. And then he's so anxious about the future that he does not enjoy the present, the result being that he does not live in the present or the future. He lives as if he's never going to die and then dies having never really lived. So I thought that was a good um, 
place to jump off on our topic. And this kind of brought to my mind a story that I heard growing up, which many, many of you might be familiar with. It's a story by Leo Tolstoy, where he talks about this man who was very greedy. And he thought that if he could just have a lot of wealth, and wealth in those days uh, in an agrarian culture meant land. So he thought, if I have enough land, then I would be somehow the happiest person. Um, there was a little um, incentive or a little opportunity that came up for him where this man said to him, uh, it's a long story, so I'm just kind of giving a little, little part of it. And, and he said that, yeah, you can have all the land you want, but you have to start walking from a point and just keep walking all day. And whatever land that you can cover in a day is all yours. But of course, there's always a fine print, right? <laughs> so the fine print was that you have to come back to the place where you started. And then whatever land you have walked is going to be yours. And so he starts out, and he walks, and he walks, and he walks. And as human tendency, uh, he keeps thinking a little bit more, a little bit more. You know, I, I still have time. Let me, let me just go a little bit more. And, uh, and soon it's evening, and he doesn't realize it. And then he realizes that it's actually getting really late. And so then he tries to turn around and just tries to run back to the starting point, but it's too late. And as he runs, he's you know, heaving and panting and sweating, and his heart rate is up. <clears throat> he's all stressed out. He's in anxiety. And then what happens? He just drops dead. And then he's dead, and then the story kind of ends with this punchline, how much does a man really need? You know, really needs just a six feet, right? That's all that we really need in the end. And so the story, again, brings to our attention something that seems so obvious. You know, we are sitting here, and we are talking about it, and almost laughing, right, at the stupidity or the madness of it. And yet, it's something that we are all caught up in. And um, there's a very nice purport by Srila Prabhupada that I would like to read. This is from Srimad Bhagavatam. And um, incidentally, uh, before I get into it, one of the things that, I was, that was most fascinating, which is actually the basis or foundation of my talk here today, was I had spent, what, 20 years or maybe whatever, 15, 20 years of my life studying these books. And then I had to step out and study Ayurveda to realize that how that philosophy was contained in Srila Prabhupada's books. Prabhupada says, everything is in my books, and I never saw that before. Prabhupada actually talks about so many amazing Ayurvedic principles, and so this is another section which connects with what the Ayurvedic textbook also spoke about. So here it is. This is from Srimad Bhagavatam, first canto, and the chapter is actually the first chapter. So right in the first chapter, 10th verse. 10th verse, it says, O learned one, in this iron age of Kali, which is our current age, Men almost always have but short lives. They are quarrelsome, lazy, misguided, unlucky, and above all, always disturbed. So this is the purport or the commentary by His Divine Grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami, Srila Prabhupada. The devotees of the Lord are always anxious for the spiritual improvement of the general public. When the sages of Nemi Sharanya analyzed the state of affairs of the people in this age of Kali, they foresaw that men would live short lives. In Kali Yuga, the duration of life is shortened, not so much because of insufficient food, but because of irregular habits. By keeping regular habits and eating simple food, any man can maintain his health. Overeating, over-sense gratification, over-dependence on another's mercy, and artificial standards of living sap the very vitality of human energy. Therefore, the duration of life is shortened. So when one reads 
something like this in a spiritual book, then it may appear that, yeah, this is meant for our spiritual upliftment. But when one makes a connection and sees that how it's not just meant or it's not just good for our, our, our spiritual progress, but when it's also really important for our physical, mental well-being, then that's when, you know, it's like a, it's a portal that opens up. And that's what maybe we'll get into uh, right now. So in my study of Ayurveda, of course, health, <clears throat> I had a little bit of an incident in my own life when I first uh, came to this country. And just like Prabhupada saying, I was really, I bought into this whole idea of quick lunches, right, or instant food. And so I thought, this is, this is cool. I mean, my grandmother didn't know what she was talking about, right? She just, you know, this was all she did was like cook fresh and, you know, and, and three meals a day. And I thought that was just a total waste of time. So I, you know, this was 23 years ago, I came and I started cooking a big part of whatever, pulao, kitchri, rice, whatever, and just put it in the fridge and I would take it out and I would just heat it up in the microwave and uh, maybe not even that sometimes. I don't know what I did. I was you know, 24 at the time. So anyways, uh, and then very soon, within a couple of months, I started getting th these really unusual shifting pains in my body. That really freaked me out. And it just, I couldn't knead dough. My, my joints would hurt. And it was, it was just really weird. And so I, um, I didn't know what was going on. So I kept going to the doctors. And the doctors would run all kinds of different tests on me. And they would say, there's nothing wrong with you. All the tests are normal. But here I, here I was. I would wake up with fatigue. And I would have all these pains. And I, anyway, so finally I went to one of the best neurologists uh, in Virginia. And he did some tests, and by a process of elimination, he finally announced to me, I still remember that, that, that image is sort of like embedded, like I was sitting in his office, and he said, we've done all kinds of tests on you, and based on the process of elimination, everything else is normal, so you have fibromyalgia. And I thought, what, what is that? And he said, well, it's, uh, I said, is there a cure? That's all I really cared about. And he said, no, there's no cure. And I started, you know, I started to cry. And then he said, well, a lot of people have it, and they learn to live with it. And I thought, huh, I wasn't prepared to live with that. Um, anyways, uh, to cut the long story short, it just so happened that I had to go to India at the time. And that was my first visit back to India. And when I went there, there used to be this very famous Ayurvedic doctor who passed away recently, very famous. His name was Triguna Veji. And my mother said, let's go see him. And we went and saw him. Um, one quick touch on the pulse, and he said, uh, incidentally, my, when I had called my maternal grandmother and I told her about my pain, she said, oh, you have a vata disorder. And I said, what is she talking about? You know, she doesn't know what, you know, the doctors know better. Anyways, when I went to this Ayurvedic doctor, he touched my pulse and he said, you have a vata disorder and your pain started from your left knee and then it went here. And I was like, I thought that was some kind of a magic. It's like, you know, and then again, you know, being an impetuous 24 year old, I argued with him. I said, no, the doctors in America told me I have fibromyalgia. And he said, no, you don't. Just take these medicines and, and you'll be okay. I guess I didn't really have a choice. So I took whatever he told me, went back. I followed the, that was one thing to my credit. I followed it to the T. Whatever diet, herbs, they were really horrible tasting, but I, I did the whole thing. And within a month, all my pains, aches were all gone. And um, it's been so many years now. I haven't had any kind of aches or pains ever since. So I could see that there was more to health than met my eye. That there was something that was missing in our, in our daily experience of what we were told and what we were experiencing. So fast forward, I decided to study Ayurveda. And when I studied the definition of health, it was very fascinating. So the word in Sanskrit for health is called, anybody know here what is the Sanskrit word for health? 
Swasta. Yes, it's called swasta. Now, swasta is a very interesting word because it's combined of two different distinct parts. One is called swa, one part is swa, and the other is astha, right? So swa means the self, right? And astha means to be situated in. So in Ayurveda, the definition of health is actually that state where one is situated in one's true self. And so, of course, that can be, you know, seen in so many different ways. But then it goes on a step further. And then it also says or states the same in the negative. So it says, all right, so that's hell, but what's disease? And this is where I would like you to brace yourself. Because this came to me as like, like one of those moments where like, really? You know, and it said that the primordial cause of disease, according to Ayurveda, is forgetfulness of one's true identity. And to me, that was second chapter Bhagavad Gita, for those that have studied, right out of Bhagavad Gita. And I thought, that is really interesting. Why should our health be connected to A, being situated in our truest identity, which is pure consciousness or Atman, and why should our um, experience of disease be connected to forgetfulness of that state? So at this point, I'd like to maybe see what you guys think. Any thoughts of why you think this connection is stated um, in, in, in the, the Ayurvedic text? Any thoughts? Uh, we have trouble enough knowing ourselves because mm. we're told here that uh, you are not your body, mm. which is a very hard concept to understand to begin with. Yeah. So it's very hard to to find your true self to begin with, so. Yeah, we'll get to that. <laughs> we'll get to that, that's a, that's a really good point. Yeah. That, so Ayurveda, it's actually, it kind of connects with the next part of what I was gonna say, but I'll just wait and see if anybody has any thoughts about why do you think the concept of self is connected to the concept of health? So uh, Mataji, like, uh, why it is connected? Because the soul, soul is the one that, uh, that make your body alive actually mm. that is the one that is the healer of your body if somehow you are not connected then uh, you know like uh, the disease can come because it is not connected yeah exactly because at the very base of everything and we'll read from Prabhupada's purport in a little while from the third chapter of Bhagavad Gita where he talks about this hierarchy so just like Ayurveda talks about what is one of the principal core principal ideas of Ayurveda so if I go to, to the doctor that I have headache, I have you know, ache in my leg or whatever, the doctor sort of doesn't just give us a symptomatic relief for that, right? But he tries to go to the heart of the problem. Where is the, where is the root cause of this, right? So that's, that's really an Ayurvedic principle. So in the same way, in order to actually deal with anything, we again have to go to the root of who we are. So while we have our senses, we have our mind, we have our intelligence, but at the root of it is our consciousness, is our soul. So unless we make that connection, somehow our, our, our understanding and our, and our explanation or even our discussion on this subject matter remains very incomplete. So that is one which is natural and very obvious. But there's another one which actually connects with what I'm going to share with you furthermore. That then, if that was not enough, then Ayurveda goes on to talk about three more reasons for the cause of disease uh, in, in, our, in, in, you know, in, in the world. And the first one, and all three of them actually connect with this forgetfulness of one's true identity as a spirit soul. Because what happens is when we forget that we are not, that we are not, not this body, that we are a spirit soul, then we start identifying, right? We start identifying with the body. Identification with the body means that my senses are the only source of happiness or pleasure. And I try to use my senses, for, you know, uh, what is it? Um, um, just, you know, 
just do it you know just just go out and have fun just live life just use our senses in whatever way we can because hey this is the only life we got and you know and i am this body so let me let me get the most out of it so it's interesting that one of the out of the three reasons that ayurveda cites as being the cause of disease the first one is conjunction of the senses with the objects of the senses well you can add another adjective to it some some textbooks say unwholesome conjunction of the senses with the objects of the senses but in but what that really means is sense gratification and that's what prabhupada is talking about here that this excessive um, push or a, or a drive to enjoy the senses now according to our bhakti tradition we understand that each of there are so many animals in the animal kingdom right and there are so many animals that get caught up because of one sense organ so the fish gets caught up why because of the sense of tongue in the same way we have the moth gets caught up by the sense of sight and and so on and so forth there are all these different five senses that 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 catches us and 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 can can take us in a direction we don't want to go but in the case of human beings we are the fortunate guys right so we have all five senses equally active so it's not just one sense we have to deal with we have to deal with all five and so so when ayurveda comes in and says that actually that is the root of problem that is the root problem is our unhealthy conjunction of the senses with the objects of senses then i sat up and i said but how on earth is it possible for a person just like what you said how is it possible for us to actually disengage in fact devahuti in shrimad bhagavatam she uh, she she talks to kapil muni her son and this is one of the questions that she asks of her son she says My dear son how is it possible for the senses to ever be disconnected from the objects of senses they have a natural affinity since time immemorial so how am i supposed to give this up and so kapil muni describes that by connects with your point again um he describes that by continuous hearing for hearing about krishna for a very 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 long time then even though this is a very deep affinity one can actually gradually give it up and that same message is actually spoken of in the bhagavad gita as well where krishna he also speaks about this and he says that as long as the senses are there the senses are going to be active we cannot make them inactive however if we can give the senses a higher taste right if you can give them a higher taste something that that it really feels satisfied in then the lower taste or this desire for uh this unwholesome conjunction is actually automatically going to go away there are many uh studies that show that one of the reasons why people actually engage in this um uh, incessant uh pursuit of sense enjoyment is not necessarily because they um they are feeling some satisfaction it's because they are feeling so hungry i don't know if you've ever experienced this i have well i don't do soda anymore but back in the day maybe when i did i remember that when you drink soda you actually land up feeling thirstier right and then you think that maybe i should do more soda you know so that i can feel less thirsty but the more you do it the more thirsty you feel so in the same way this 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 pursuit of sense gratification is really a result of not experiencing the experiencing that satiation so when the senses are satisfied in serving krishna then automatically the senses are not um are not driven in that way rather they become very pacified propad uses this example they're just like the serpents the senses are also sometimes compared to serpents with fangs and poison fangs and prophet says if you if you take off the f- uh, poison then they're no longer um so um so ferocious or so uh, filled with so much vengeance so when we um 
bring the senses and we try to engage them in, in, in service of Krishna, then the senses can be satisfied and then we will not experience this continuous hankering for, um, for sense enjoyment, which is, which is really a spiritual goal. But what we are seeing right now is that included within that spiritual goal is actually this desire within us for, for better health, for physical health, mental health. Um, the second um, point that was also brought up was intellectual blasphemy. That is pragya aparada, that's what it talks about. Now that's again a really interesting concept, which means, and I'm sure a lot of us can connect with that, I know I should not stay up till 11 watching Netflix. I really need to get up early in the morning, but oh gosh, this TV show just has me up till 12 or 11.30. I know this is where, but the cliffhanger just won't let me get past, right? And I stay up till midnight, and then I'm without any sleep. The next day, I'm like a zombie. That's called pragya parada, which means I know fully well what I need to do, but I'm unable to do it. My intelligence, my intellect will not cooperate with me. And so that's another cause of disease. I know I shouldn't be taking that next muffin or, or whatever, but... You know, whatever, you know, I just cannot stop myself. So this, this issue is also addressed in the Bhagavad Gita. And this is what is most amazing, that everything we, we read in the Ayurvedic textbooks sort of just brought me back to the Bhagavad Gita, where Arjuna is asking exactly the same question to Krishna. And he's saying, why are people driven to engaging in all kinds of activities which they know are not beneficial for them, and yet they seem to be driven to do it as if they're totally helpless? And then Krishna says, it is, what does Krishna say? It's lust. It's lust only. So again, we come back to that same point. It's lust. Now, can lust be, I was just listening to a lecture just yesterday, that lust, when it is not satisfied, turns into anger. But I think it was George Bernard Shaw, right? He said, there are only two tragedies in this world. One is not getting what you want, and the other is getting it. So lust, when it is satisfied, turns into greed. And that's what we saw in the case of this Leo Tolstoy, this, this character from his story, right? Insatiable greed. Now, so we see that we cannot, and this lust is such an enemy that we cannot just tell Mr. Lust, you know, let's just take it easy, right? Doesn't work that way, we've all tried it. The more you try to hold it back, the more it comes back with greater force. I, I, I have, um, I know of some people, sometimes they go on this like two week, three week, or even longer fasting, and then they come back, you know, to donuts <laughs> because it's like too much. Okay, done. You know, I've done my fasting now. Let me. So it doesn't work. So again, um, the the bhakti text and the Srimad Bhagavatam they come to such amazing understanding that the only way that lust can actually be conquered is not by 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 eliminating it or defeating it, is actually by transforming it. So when lust is transformed back to its original nature, which is prema which is love, which is this desire to do service, that's when we feel completely satisfied within our heart, and then this enemy stops acting on us, and then our intelligence becomes our best friend, our mind becomes our best friend, and we don't have this sense of, um, you know, what should I do, because we have a purpose or a reason. The third reason that, uh, that is discussed, uh, that is given as a, as a reason or a, or a cause of disease is time. Time. It's, it's something that I am conti conti continuously looking at the clock. There's no running away from time, right? But in Ayurveda, there are two kinds of time. There's biological time and there is internal time. So biological time is we have no control over it. And internal time is, of course, how fast I walk, how fast I talk, how fast I do things, the, the stress of our daily life. That can be somewhat controlled. So, but the fact is that time is going to have an effect on, on us no matter whether we like it or not. And every day when we wake up 
and when we go to sleep, this, the, it says in the Bhagavatam, both by rising and setting of the sun, what happens? Our lifespan is curtailed. But then there is some good news. It says, but for, one, for a person who's dedicated to glorifying Krishna, for that person, time actually has no effect. Krishna describes in the Bhagavad Gita, the time I am, the destroyer of everything, right? So yet, that same time actually acts in the, um, for the benefit of the living entity who's trying to serve Krishna. And so again, we see that all of these, uh, all of these criteria or factors that actually can you know, take us away from good health are actually, uh, again, you know, as a disclaimer, um, Ayurveda does not promise immortality in case if anybody ever thought so. You know, it does not promise immortality. This body is actually meant for destruction. That is the nature of this body. I was reading, Srila Prabhupada calls this body Vyadhi Mandiram. Vyadhi Mandir. Vyadhi means disease. So it's a temple of disease. So there's no running away from that. What we are trying to do is look at ways in which we can make the best out of this, this body and, and use it in a way so that we can ultimately attain the ultimate good health, which is, which is, again, like you were saying, situated at the level of consciousness. That's really where we can find our perfect health. So, um, so that's time. We cannot run away from it. So um, then it goes on to talk about, and I, that, that's not enough. Then it goes on to talk about the, the, the effect of the mind on our health. And that's, again, a very big topic. I think NIH is trying to do studies, and there are many research that's going on about how our, our mind affects um, our health. I mean, if somebody, if I'm sick and my husband comes and tells me that it's all in your mind, he's gonna have a bad day, right? <laughs> but according to Ayurveda, it does say that while we understand that our digestion is actually governed, uh, is, is at the root of all our diseases, but our digestion is actually governed by the state of our mind. So I may be able to Google and find out what's the best kind of meal to have in a day and bring in all the six kinds of taste and, and do everything right and find out what the doctors are saying, so much omega-3s and 6s and this and that. But the fact is that if, I, if my mental state is not conducive while I'm eating, then that food, even though it may be nectar, will actually become toxic. It'll become ama. So, um, so it's not just, uh, you are not just what you eat, but you're also how you eat. And that's where the mind comes into play. In fact, the role of mind is something that is so um, important in this discussion that um, there, there are some doctors, and maybe many of you might already know, there are doctors who are spinal surgeons. And um, what was his name? Dr. David Hanscom, that's one. And there's also another one in the past. And they've written books and they've done a lot of research and they've been able to help their patients with back problems just by helping them resolve their emotional and mental issues. Uh, in, in, the, in, the, in the treatment of cancer, uh, forgiveness or people holding resentments or anger is something that's connected to, uh, to ill health. Um, in, in Chinese medicine, incidentally, there are different organs of our body which are connected to different emotions, right? So the lungs are connected to grief, the liver is connected to excessive anger and so on and so forth. So what we are seeing, what we are really seeing is that in order for us to even desire good health or good body or, 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 or whatever, we have to go beyond just taking care of our physical body, which is of course important, but we have to really go down to taking care of ourselves at the level of the mind, at the level of our consciousness. And as we do that, then all of these other things will, will come into, um, uh, will come together. Um, as I was reading uh, these Ayurvedic texts, I was thinking that it's, um, you know, we, we say in, in Bhagavad Gita, we say Raja Vidya, Raja Guhyam, Pavitram Idam Uttamam. It says that how, how this knowledge is actually the king of all education. So all of these sciences, these material sciences, um, 
they are of they are of value when they are connected to this um, to this king of education. Just like a bride when she's standing next to her husband is actually very attractive, or you know. So in the same way, when all of this knowledge is is actually used for our ultimate purpose of finding perfect health at the level of consciousness and realizing that I'm not this body but I'm a spirit soul. Shri Prabhupada says that this body is actually a vehicle, just like we have a car. So it need, needs tune up, it needs oil change. But we don't identify our identity as being that of the car, right? We understand that it's a car that's supposed to take me from point A to point B. And when we, when we think like that and we use our body in that way, then Ayurveda can actually be of great help, right? It can be of great help and we can really um, uh, use this body um, which is anyways um, uh, not going to last forever. Um, Srila Prabhupada said when he was very old, he said, don't think this won't happen to you. So old age is there, disease is there. Finally, leaving this body is also there. But while we are in this body, we can make the best use. Uh, Srila Prabhupada also said that, um, uh, you know, he would say that um, in... in um, that taking care of our health, he, you know, he, whenever he would write a letter, he would always say, hope this meets you in good health. So it's definitely an important aspect. Uh, and if it, if it is used with proper understanding and how it connects with our, our ultimate uh, purpose of connecting with Krishna, then we can actually have both good health, with which we can then serve Krishna to the best of our ability, as well as um, use this body for its ultimate purpose. I'll, I'll end with this last point about there's another aspect of uh, Ayurveda, which is actually the most fascinating aspect personally for me, which is the aspect of rasa. Um, rasa is actually the first tissue uh, in the study of Ayurveda. There's also, um, it's very interesting that um, in, our, in the study of Ayurveda, there's a whole channel, which is called the channel of the mind. It's called Manovaha Shrota, right? It's a channel of the mind. And our thoughts, and it, it starts, guess where that channel starts from? Any, any takers, where do you think the channel of the mind starts from? Say that again? Okay, not quite. No. Who said heart? Yes, it starts from the heart. So, you know, many times we go out into the world and people talk about, you know, I want to control my mind. I want to be able to practice meditation, which is focused on bringing my mind to the center. And that's all great stuff. But here is Ayurveda coming in and saying that the mind channel starts at the heart. So without bringing into this equation the heart, one cannot really control the mind. And so that is the Manovaha Shrota. Then there's another channel which is called Rasavaha Shrota. So Rasavaha Shrota means that that's the first uh, tissue, it's the first layer. And what that means is that we all ultimately are, Prabhupada says, Anandamayo Abhyasat, which means that we are all pleasure seeking, which means we are ultimately all seeking rasa or pleasure. So without that pleasure, Ayurveda says that if, if that rasa dhatu is depleted or if that uh, desire for satisfaction at the level of the heart is depleted, then a person can actually die. And I was just reading recently about this heartbreak syndrome, right? That people can actually die of heartbreak. There is a guy called Viktor Frankl who was a... Um, who was there at the concentration camp and he survived the concentration camp. He came out and he wrote books and he has created a therapy called Logotherapy, which says that the, the reason why the people that survived the concentration camp was because they had a purpose. They had a sense of why they wanted to live and they would wake up in the morning with some hope or some desire for, for, for future and that's what kept them going. So the idea being that we have to find that rasa within, within so that 
the rasa dhatu is completely nourished and um, when we are connected to ourselves for, through the medium of the heart which is actually bhakti yoga then we can we can feel completely satisfied and when we are completely satisfied then it's easier to give up all the other things right i i noticed this about myself that if i have things that i really love then i don't hanker for things that i that i don't have right i'm completely satisfied within and so this process of bhakti yoga it is described is really meant for bringing ultimate satisfaction again a verse from the shrimad bhagavatam that says that just like when you eat a good meal then three things happen right what are those three things we feel satisfied our hunger goes away and we feel superior strength so in the same way when we practice bhakti yoga then all of these material pangs go away we feel spiritual strength and we are completely nourished so when we are completely nourished then then what happens our senses are controlled our mind does not run in different places because our mind has found superior uh, knowledge and superior satisfaction our intelligence is also aligned with our heart and in our heart we we hopefully we are able to work through these different things that hold us back both in our spiritual and in our material domain which is which are these anarthas they are called anarthas in sanskrit unwanted things anger greed lust and we can transform them into gratitude and happiness and joy which is actually the fountain head of good health both physical mental and ultimately spiritual so on that note i'm going to pause here and see if you guys have any thoughts or questions or discussions or anything that you would like to maybe add to the discussion sometimes it happens that uh, some some of our uh, things they are born with us like if you are being an emotional person mm. or something and then you are eating food and somebody said something and you keep thinking about that so how to overcome that what a great question thank you thank you for asking that um again goes back to the same point this is actually one of my realization through ayurveda was that it was giving me this whole template but it wasn't really telling me how to do it the question is that sometimes when you are born with a certain nature right and so i i i'm an emotional person or i may be a very angry person type a driven right and now i i know that i shouldn't be doing that but when i'm eating then those emotions come into play so how am i going to get out of it so this was the most amazing part for me this is why i had this deep desire It's like okay we have to bring krishna into this discussion bhakti yoga into this discussion because we cannot really give it up krishna says that we are born with a certain nature and what will repression do we cannot fight our real nature so what are we going to do so ayurveda talks and also our bhakti texts talk about it that you can be a certain person in all the three gunas so you can be a person in the mode of passion mode of goodness or mode of ignorance so by the practice of again uh, how do we control the mind and that's a part that i actually missed in my talk so i'm glad you brought that up the way we control the mind and the way we actually change this orientation that we all have is actually by the process of sound sound is very powerful to change it is described that what we associate with the kind of sound vibration that we associate with that's who we become so the more we put ourselves in 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 the hearing of transcendental sound vibration to that extent those those lower nature you know this anger this irritation this impatience irritability all of that will get subdued and our higher nature will surface which is really the nature of the the soul and that's what we really want to bring out where a person is grateful he is not angry he is peaceful and so how do you do that so that how is actually this process of chanting you know chanting every day this very powerful mantra for this age of kali yuga hare krishna hare krishna 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 hare 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 rama hare rama 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 hare hare incidentally if you go to an ayurvedic doctor and you tell them that you have this problem there are different mantras that are mentioned for different chakras so there are seven chakras each chakra has a certain mantra i always like to call this hare krishna mantra as the master key 
because if you chant the Hare Krishna mantra, then whatever in, you know, things that are off, you know, can actually be taken care of by bringing in this master key. Otherwise, for every single chakra, there are different mantras that are mentioned. So by this, and I, and I have practically seen this in my own life. Uh, in my 20s and my 30s, I really was not a very healthy person. But just by this process of, you know, understanding the science and then applying the, the principles of bhakti yoga, um, my health right now is way better than I've ever been before. So I can see that by this practice of constantly chanting, understanding this knowledge that's contained in these uh, books, the Srimad Bhagavatam, what happens, it gives, you, it gives you rasa. The Bhagavatam is actually a, a rasa text, right? And there are so many verses there that actually nourish the heart. It nourishes the, the soul. And so when we are nourished, then, then the, these lower nature of anger, emotional irritability, it all goes away. So anybody else? Yes. Um. We only had one life. Do we? But don't we have reincarnations? What a great, yeah. That's a, that's a really good point. I said that there are people in this world who may think like that, that we only have one life, so let me just enjoy to the most. But don't we understand, right, that we have lived before and we are going to continue. So thank you. <laughs> thank you for clarifying that. Yeah. <laughs> this is more based on uh, two comments, if I may. Yeah. Uh, your, your talk about the heart. I remember seeing an interview or hearing an interview on the radio of this woman who was extremely old and extremely healthy. Mm. And they asked her what her success was, and she said two things, to know that I'm loved and to know that I'm needed, That's which are both heart-related. Yeah. Yeah. The other comment about um, taking food in the right mood, oftentimes Shoal Prabhupada's servants would comment that Shoal Prabhupada would take his prashadam by himself. And I've seen pictures of Shoal Prabhupada sitting up against the wall mm. and eating prashadam with no distraction. Yeah. And there's a recording of Shoah Prabhupada, which is extremely rare here in Washington, and he's honoring prashadam. And as he's eating the prashadam, he's going, mmm, mmm, he's relishing. You can hear he's relishing the prashadam. It's so beautiful. I'm so glad. Actually, I was going to bring that. I actually have a picture of Shiloh Prabhupada in, my, uh, in the place. We have a little dining table, and I have that picture on the wall. And it just gives me, it's so beautiful. This Prabhupada, it's almost like Prabhupada sitting in meditation. You know, when he's honoring prashadam. And that's a whole science. I mean, that's what I, that's, that was my realization when I studied Ayurveda. That, hey, everything I needed, it was right there. The mantra chanting, how to honor prashadam, how to cook in a right consciousness, how to accept it in the right consciousness. In fact, um, a lot of people get frustrated. Like, one of the things that we used to do was like, okay, if a person comes with all kinds of problems, what should be your first Ayurvedic sitting? And the first Ayurvedic sitting really with the new person would be, okay, you have to chew 30 times, you have to sit down in a quiet place, don't talk. And I was thinking, you know, that's, it's such basic common sense, and yet it's sometimes missing. But that's really the practice. When we sit down to take prashadam, we first pray, we slow down, we, we remember that this is actually prashadam that has been offered to Krishna, and then we take it in gratitude. Now that kind of eating would actually nourish not just the soul, but would nourish our body as well. So... It's very beautiful. Anybody else? Yes, Prabhu. Hey, Krishna. Uh, thank you for the beautiful enlightenment lecture. Thank you. And uh, this is just this question I'm going to ask you. Just a very basic question. I'm trying mm. to understand myself. Is the definition of yoga? Mm. I was just talking to somebody a couple of days ago who teaches yoga, mm. and I said, uh, "Sir, I would like to know what's the definition of yoga." He said, "What?" We just uh, meditate. It's a meditation, uh, mind-body mm. uh, connection. I said, is that all? Mm. He said, yeah. You just come every day, five days a week, 
and you see um, your health improves and your attitude improves. Mm. I said, okay. But then I, I was just looking at the brief book I got it from here, Bhagavad Gita. Mm. And um, they keep repeating it, mind, body, and spirit. Yeah. Mind, body, and soul connection. Yeah. Now, here is the situation, and that's why I thought those people who are doing a yoga may not be doing a complete yoga because they don't know at what stage mind, body, and then how to connect to the soul or spirit. Yeah. That is the big if. Yeah. So how do we know from your opinion uh, and uh, what's your advice that once we reach to a situation that after a long time there we have a mind-body control and discipline reunited as the definition says, and at what stage we say, okay, now we are on a transcendental stage. Mm. We have overcome the materialistic inferior energy and we are past to that stage of transcendental state. Thank so, you. Thank you. Very good, good question. I'll just refer to Srila Prabhupada in his own chanting Hare Krishna, where he talks about how this process of chanting Hare Krishna actually bypasses the mental, the physical, mental, sensual, intellectual strata of our consciousness and goes directly to, to, the, to the level of the soul, to the transcendental consciousness that you're talking about. Because if we try to go through the process of first, you know, controlling the senses, controlling the mind, that's a very long process. And Krishna actually describes, actually Arjuna, he says that this is very, very difficult. He says it's, it's, it's impractical. He says, I can control the raging wind, but I really cannot control this, this um, turbulent mind. So, our, our, so that's why, and, and then what to speak of Kali Yuga, right? Where we have iPads and iPhones. Impossible. So that's why, you know, Srila Prabhupada in his writings, he very emphatically, he says that, you know, when you bring this whole discussion down to the level of consciousness and when you chant the, the holy names of Krishna, then you're directly connecting to the level of the soul. And then you're actually situated in transcendental consciousness. And all of these other levels will actually just completely disappear. One time somebody asked Prabhupada, um, you know, what do I do, Prabhupada? The mind gets in the way. So Prabhupada says, just neglect it, you know. And where is the question of the mind? So by chanting the holy names of God, one is directly uh, in connection with our identity as a spirit. And that, by the way, connects with your point as well. You were asking, right, how does, how does one realize that? So the very easy process of realizing that is by the process of sound vibration. The sound is the only thing that actually moves the consciousness. Sound moves consciousness. And so... When, whatever, so if we, if we associate with sound vibration that is material, then our consciousness takes on those material qualities. But when it associates with spiritual sound vibration, then it takes on its spiritual nature. Yeah. I just wanted to end with this, that sometimes as practicing devotees, we think that Ayurveda, you know, taking care of the body is just something that, um, not really required because we are not this body. But what my Ayurvedic teacher in Vrindavan, he would often glorify, one of the things he would glorify, apart from all the other things about Srila Prabhupada, is how Prabhupada was so regulated and how so many of these uh, uh, principles of Ayurvedic living, Prabhupada actually exemplified that. Every day he would take a massage. Every day he would go for a walk. Like you were saying, he would sit down and he would honor prasadam in such a quiet and, and, and meditative manner. He would honor prasadam which was very simple which was in, 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 in line, and he knew. Uh, I'm told, and Palaka Prabhu, maybe you can confirm, he actually gave a toothpaste recipe to some devotee, right? It's a good recipe. 
two recipes that he gave. So Srila Prabhupada was actually very well acquainted uh, with this knowledge. And in many places, in both in his personal example and his writings, we see how he brings it out, uh, this whole discussion of the body. At the same time, emphasizing that this body ultimately is not keeping Taking care of this body is not our ultimate goal. I have a godbrother in, in, in Australia, <laughs> and he's very sick. He goes on dialysis, I don't know, very, I don't know, was it uh, every, every three days? He goes on a dialysis. And I was, t I was telling him, and I said, Prabhu, you know, please take better care of your health. And he said, you don't get any extra points for dying healthy. <laughs> So as, as devotees, we are, I mean, there is a transcendental angle to all of this. At the same time, while we do have this body, we can make better efforts to take better care of it and use it in Krishna's service because it is ultimately, it's a gift from Krishna. And if we take care, many times when I see devotees eating bowls of halwa, I have to say my heart, I do feel some pain in my heart because we can definitely live a healthier life, even as uh, being an aspiring transcendentalist. So on that note, thank you so much. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna.